And for those of you that are too old to go to children's church and, uh, and, and yeah, I know, too bad. All right, uh, you, you get to stay here with me and, and get to stand up one more time. So, uh, again, I want you to turn to the book of Luke in chapter 19. And uh, as over the last several weeks, we've been taking steps towards the cross, leading to the cross. And as we come to this week, we call Palm Sunday, Lord, uh, where the Lord himself comes into Jerusalem on his way to Golgotha, to Calvary. There's so many things that I could have looked at this week to prepare us for this, but, but I just kept coming back to this very passage of Scripture and this very account and asking the question, what makes Jesus worthy of worship? What makes Jesus worthy of worship? There are three things that we're going to look at in our text today that tell us about what makes Jesus worthy of worship. So Luke chapter 19, verses 28 through 40, if you would stand with me as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. In Luke's gospel, in chapter 19, in verse 28, it begins, And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass, when he had come nigh to Bethpage and to Bethany, at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, and that which as you are entering you shall find a colt tied, wherein yet never man set. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall you say unto him, Because the Lord has need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found, even as he had said unto them. And as they were loosing the colt, the owners thereof said unto them, Why loose ye the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. And they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon. And as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he had come nigh, even now at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. Say, Blessed be the King that cometh in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. Father, thank you for these wonderful words of Scripture, these wonderful words that tell us of Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem. Now we pray that you would take uh, the Word of God and the, the preaching of the Word of God and use it to prick the hearts of the people of God so that we might be moved to understand why you are worthy of our worship. So Lord, move me out of the way, hide me behind the cross, let it be your Word that is proclaimed today. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. God bless you, you may be seated this morning. This event we're looking at today in Jesus' life is oftentimes called the triumphal entry. We all know the scene well. Jesus enters Jerusalem accompanied by waving of palm branches and the cheering of crowds with great anticipation. 
If you were a visitor to Jerusalem on that day, if you were unfamiliar with who Jesus was in the life and the teaching, you would probably be wondering what was going on here. What is this all about? Maybe even today, some of you are here visiting today and wondering what is it all about? What is the significance of Palm Sunday? What is the significance of the triumphal entry? What does it mean to us? One might even ask, what makes Jesus worthy of our worship? Well, let's take a closer look at the passage and we'll find out for ourselves this morning. There are three things we are uh, going to see happening in this passage this morning that will answer the question for us and remind us why Jesus is worthy of our worship. The very first thing is found in verses 28 through 34. Jesus reveals that he himself is the Messiah. Now you might be saying, well, didn't Jesus tell us over and over before through Scripture? Yes, he told his disciples who he was and what he had come to do, and he had told others what he had come to do and who he was. But now he makes a public statement that cannot be denied. Jesus reveals several truths that point him out to be the Messiah. The Messiah was the one coming to deliver God's people with God's promise to deliver the Jewish people many years before. The entire Old Testament looks forward toward the coming of the Messiah. And there is the messianic expectation that ran by the people today. Many were looking, hoping for the Messiah because they were in captivity once again. They were under bondage. They were under the captivity of the Roman uh, tyranny of their day. But Jesus reminds us that he didn't come to set the people free from Roman tyranny. He came to set the world free from the tyranny of sin in our life. And in making that statement, Jesus wants us to see that he is worthy of our worship. The Jewish people were certainly under Roman rule and they longed to be free again. They believed that the Messiah, when he come, he would deliver them from whatever chapter they were under and set them free. This was also a significant week in the Jewish calendar. This particular week of the year was what we would call Passover week. It was an opportunity for the, the people of, uh, of God to come together and to celebrate who he was and what he had done for them all the way back when he led them out of Egypt and he brought them across the Red Sea. Passover was an opportunity for them to think back to all that God had done for them with the anticipation that he was going to come and relieve them of all of their agony, all of their tyranny, all of their distress. It was a week in which they would worship the God who had saved them in the past and who could save them in the present. This was a significant week of Passover because unlike any other Passover, this week Jesus enters to the scene. Part of the messianic hope was that God would send a prophet like Moses to deliver the people 
So here comes Jesus, a prophet, widely known for his miracles, certainly for his teaching, walking the road to Jerusalem along with the disciples. And as he did, the crowd began to grow and follow him on his pilgrimage. And now they are at the door of Jerusalem. There was already wide conjecture among the people that Jesus might be the Messiah. Jesus had already revealed that that true to his disciples time and time again. Now he prepared the point to be presented to Messiah to all of Jerusalem. So how does Jesus do this? How does he make us know and for them to be known that there he was the Messiah. There are three ways that Jesus reveals himself that day as the Messiah in these opening verses. First of all, he starts from the Mount of Olives. The starting point of the Mount of Olives was important not only because the Mount of Olives is a geographical marker that we can still find today. I've stood there. Several of you that have gone to Israel have stood there. It is still a place in which is Israel that we can identify as that place. But the Mount of Olives was beyond that of a geographical location. It was a messianic implication. It was messianic prophecy. As a matter of fact, in Ezekiel, in the Old Testament, prophesied to the Jewish uh, exiles who were in captivity in Babylon, he prophesied about the restoration of Israel to the land, even as, behold, in a vision of the glory of the Lord, departing from the temple and from Jerusalem. If we were to take time to read Ezekiel chapter 11, we would find such verses as 23, which says the glory of the Lord went up from within the city and stopped above the mountain east of it. This, my friends, is a description of the Mount of Olives, where it sees the glory of the Lord returning to Jerusalem from the east in Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1. God's glory would re-enter Jerusalem through the Mount of Olives. So it was that Jesus begins his journey into Jerusalem from that very point. But if you need further convincing, let me take you to another Old Testament by the name of Zechariah. Zechariah being another Old Testament prophet who also prophesied to the group of exiles who returned to Jerusalem after they were in exile was over and encouraged them to the rebuilding of the temple. In the final chapters of his vision, he prophesied about the day of the Lord when the Lord will return and fight for his people Israel. We read in Zechariah chapter 14 and verse 4, On that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives east of Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, forming a great valley and half the mountain moving north, and half of the mountain moving south. Now, if we understand our prophetic uh, prophecy of the Bible, we know that this particular verse is not talking about his first coming. It's not talking about his second coming. It is significant to his first coming because the very first place in which he comes is the very place that he is going to come when he comes again. 
the Mount of Olives, the reason that it is still there today in Israel, the reason that it is a sacred place, the reason that God, when everything else and so many other things have changed throughout the, the, the nation of Israel, God has said, this must remain because my son, when he comes again, he will take the same journey, the same path that he took the first time. He will take in victory on the Mount of Olives. And so that we know that the coming Lord Jesus is the one who entered into Jerusalem by the way of the Mount of Olives. So now today we see this verse applies to a future coming, but it reminds us that it is no accident that Jesus begins his journey into Jerusalem from the east at the very location of the Mount of Olives. He is intentionally, deliberately revealing himself as the one who will return in his second coming is the one who was there at his first coming. But also, he shows us something else. Not only will he enter in through the east from the Mount of Olives, but yet the prophecy of the Lord says that he will ride in on a tethered colt. In verse 30, it tells us that Jesus before entering into the city, as he was entering the Mount of Olives, told two of his disciples to go into the city, and there they would find a young colt, tethered, one that had never been ridden on before, never a man had said, bring that colt to me. And if anybody asks you why you should bring that colt, you tell them the Lord has need of it. Now let me just give you a little understanding. The word Lord throughout the Bible means several things. It can be master, it can mean owner, or it can mean Messiah. In this particular place, the Bible tells us in this particular gospel that Jesus was not talking about that he was the owner of this. He wasn't just the great master teacher, but he was the Messiah. The Lord has need of it. And there was no question. There was no question in Scripture as to who the Lord was and why he needed it. You might be wondering, what does a tethered colt have to do with the Messiah? Well, one of the earliest prophecies about Messiah comes from Jacob in the book of Genesis in chapter 49. In chapter 49, Jacob is an old man and he's dying. He gathers his sons together around him and he begins to prophesy over each one of them as the, and their descendants. Of particular interest is his prophecy for Judah. Because King David came from the line of Judah and later Old Testament prophecy made it clear that the Messiah would also come from Judah through the line of David. Here and read in Genesis chapter 49 in verses 10 and 11 the particular words that he prophesies about Judah and his descendants. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until he comes to whom it belongs, and the obedience of the nations is his. He will tether his donkey to a vine, his colt to the choicest branch. He will wash his garments in wine, and his robes in the blood of grapes. For a Jewish person in Jesus' day, steeped in the Old Testament, as these were... The tethered colt here in Luke's gospel would invoke the association with the prophecy found in Genesis that provided yet another reason that Jesus is the Messiah. 
And if that were not enough, he gives us yet another. In verses 31 through 34, Jesus alludes to that position of Lord. Jesus makes it very clear by telling his disciples to go and to tell the man who he is. Now the word Lord, as I said, has several meanings here. But in this particular case, he says the Lord needs it. He could have meant something as simple as saying his owner needs it, but he was careful in telling us in Scripture that the owner asked the question, why do you need my donkey? Why do you need him? And yet the Bible tells us that the Lord needs him. This takes a deeper meaning when it applies to who he is. The name Lord was a title that was used for the coming Messiah. For example, found in Psalms chapter 110, which is, as the scripture teaches us, a messianic psalm, which the word messianic means it is about the Messiah. It's a prophecy about Messiah. It begins with these words. The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies the footstool for your feet. Psalms 110 verse 1 begins to remind us of who Jesus is. After Jesus enters into Jerusalem, he actually uses this very same psalm to engage the Pharisees concerning who he was as his title of Lord. He told them that very psalm as he did in Luke chapter 20, verses 41 through 44. He told them that he was the Lord. He was the Messiah. So how does Jesus reveal himself as Messiah? As he comes into Jerusalem, first he enters by the Mount of Olives to fulfill the prophecy as to Jesus' second coming. Second, by riding on a tethered colt, one who no man had ever ridden, but yet ties back to the prophecy. He calls himself Lord. He reminds the people, I am the Messiah that you have been looking for. The second truth in which we find here as to what makes Jesus worthy of our worship is the people revealed Jesus as Messiah. Not only does Jesus reveal himself, but they reveal him as Messiah. We see this in a number of ways. In verse 35, it says that when they brought the donkey back to him, they put Jesus on the donkey. So you might wonder, why is this detail so important? Well, there's actually several reasons why, in the Messianic prophecies, why this is important. First of all, by placing someone on a donkey and then following that person into a town in a triumphal procession, this was an unmistakable sign of kingship. So what they were first and foremost doing was saying, our Lord is King of Kings. He is the one who is over everyone. He is the one who is over all things. We have come to proclaim Him as King of Kings. They placed Him upon a donkey. It is also significant that Jesus rides into the city on a donkey rather than on a horse. Now, what's the significance of this? Well, there are two very clear things. When one would ride in on a horse, it was a sign of, of power, of might, of, of victory. 
when one would ride in on a donkey, it was the sign of one using civil ceremonies or peaceful occasions to proclaim his coming. By choosing the donkey rather than the horse, Jesus shows that he is coming not as a victor who will overtake the Roman government, but as one who comes in peace to offer his life and atonement for your sins and mine. Jesus was making the point, I have not come to stand up against the Roman army. I've come to stand up against the sin that has enslaved you greater than the Roman army. And Jesus sets us free by his submissive behavior. The third thing that we see is the donkey figures prominently in another one of the messianic prophecies in the Old Testament. Again, we read in Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, the daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. By placing him on the donkey, they were going before him into the city of Jerusalem, the people clearly proclaiming, Jesus is Messiah and he is King of Kings. But they also did something else. If you look at verse 36, significant. They spread their cloaks before him. The spreading of cloaks was a sign of respect for kings. For example, again, in the Old Testament, when Elisha, the prophet, anointed Jehu, the king, we read that he, the people hurried and took their cloaks and spread them under him uh, as he bare steps, that they, they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. The laying down of their clothes, the, the waving of palm branches, the preparing the road was preparing the way for the king to enter. The people wanted those around them to know that as Jesus was entering in on this donkey that he was not just an ordinary man who was coming but he was the one who was going to do for them what they could not do for themselves. The Bible tells us that as they spread their cloaks they also opened their mouths. And the Bible tells us in verses 37 and 38, the people begin to shout the praises. We heard it today in the video that we played, and we heard it today in the songs that we sung. Matthew's gospel in chapter 21 and verse 9 says this, And the multitude that went before and followed, crying, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna to in the highest. This first phrase that they shout comes from Psalms 118 that says, O Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. The word Hosanna means, literally means, Lord, save us, which we find in the Psalms 118. And just like the psalm, the people cried out, Blessed is the king that cometh in the name of the Lord. The praise of his people are the third way that the people proclaim that Jesus is the Messiah entering into Jerusalem. How will we today proclaim to the world around us 
that we believe Jesus is our Messiah, that he did enter Jerusalem that day. He did go to the cross. He did die for us, that he went to the grave, but the grave could not hold him, but the grave had to let him go. And on the third day, he rose again and ascended into the Father's house where he intercedes for you and I today, every day, so that we have all that we need to get to heaven to be where he is. How will we proclaim to the world? What will we do? How will we make it known that Jesus is our Messiah? I hope that you will lift your voice in praise. I hope that you will be unashamedly sharing with others that without Christ, I would be locked into my sin. Without Him, I would be doomed to a destiny of hell. Without Him, I would have no hope. But in Him, I have all the hope of the world. I have everlasting hope. And thirdly, Jesus relishes their praise of him as Messiah. How do we know that he's worthy of our praise? Because Jesus welcomes it. He relishes it. In verses 39 and 40, we find that not everyone was happy about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. First of all, in verse 39, the the Pharisees object to the people's praise of Jesus. Why? Why? Because the Pharisees knew what was happening. They understood the prophecies. They knew the proclamation. They understood what Jesus had said. They saw what the people were proclaiming. They put two and two together. And by the way, it equaled up to four. And they knew who he was. My Sunday school class knows what that's about. The rest of you just won't. They saw him riding in on a donkey as the people waved their palm branches and laid their cloaks on the road before him. They heard the people praising God and proclaiming Jesus as king just as he passed by the Mount of Olives. They understood the implications of all these things. Jesus was revealing himself as Messiah. The people revealed Jesus as Messiah. And now Jesus tells the Pharisees, I will not tell them to stop. Teacher, tell them to stop. But Jesus relished the people's praise and would not. You see, if Jesus wasn't the Messiah, with all that was proclaiming, all that was taking place, if Jesus was simply a good teacher, if Jesus was simply just another one of the prophets, he would have told his disciples to be quiet. He would have told them to not proclaim him as something that he was not. But Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus relishes, he welcomes their praise. And do you know why he didn't do that? Because Jesus is the Messiah who is worthy of the praise. He is the Christ. He is the Son of the living God, just as He has proclaimed over and over and over again. In fact, instead of rebuking them, Jesus relished or welcomed the people's praise. Look at verse 40 with me. I love this verse. I tell you that if they keep quiet right now, the stones will cry out. I love that phrase. 
It's a wonderful, ambiguous phrase. And yet at the same time, such a clear affirmation that Jesus accepted the people's praise of him as Messiah because he said, just as unlikely it is for the stones to cry out, it is unlikely that my people who know who I am will cease from their praise. Church, we shall not, we dare not, we cannot cease from praising God for who he is. In the world in which we're living today, we must be the voice that they hear in the wilderness. We must be the voice that lifts up and cries out that He is our Messiah and we unashamedly proclaim to the world, He is Lord, He is Savior, He is my Savior, and He is my Lord. So let me close by reminding you that I started out today asking a question. An important question. I asked you what makes Jesus worthy of our worship? What makes him worthy of our worship? Today the scripture told us of the triumphal entry of Jesus where he himself reveals that he is Messiah and he gave us truth and proof. The people that were there that day could not but remind the people around them that we have seen it, we have heard it, we are assured of it. We know who he is. And they proclaimed it with deed and with word. And then Jesus wouldn't cease the crowd, but welcomed their praise. So what does Jesus' triumphal entry say to us today? Let me leave you with three applications. First, for those of you, excuse me, for those of you that have never received Jesus as Savior may not believe what I'm saying. But I challenge you to believe that Jesus is the Messiah. What the people proclaimed about Jesus on that first Palm Sunday, I also proclaim today. He is Messiah. He is Lord. He is the Christ. He is the Savior. He came not to deliver the people of Israel from the power of Rome, but He came to deliver us You, me, all of us from the sin that has enslaved us. The Bible tells us, thank you. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 16 and verse 31 that if you and I will believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved. My challenge to you today, believe believe because he is therefore we must believe without believing we will not be saved if we do not believe that he is who he claims to be we will continue to look for something that we will never find outside of Jesus he is the way the truth and the life but we not only need to believe but we need to serve him as king. 
as Messiah, Jesus is not only Savior, but He is Lord. He is the King of the universe who entered Jerusalem on that first Palm Sunday. As Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 said, Righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey. Just as the people spread their cloaks beneath Jesus' feet as a sign of their submission, the Bible says that one day every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess. But can I challenge you? Can I beg of you? Can I plead with you? Don't wait until God forces you on your knees. Come humbly. Come willingly. Come sacrificially. Come say, Lord Jesus, I believe and I need you as my Savior and I need you as my Lord. Listen, many people want a Savior, but they don't want a Lord. Let me remind you that He cannot be your Savior if you do not surrender to Him as your Lord. Lordship means that He has the right to tell you what to do. He has the right to tell you where you're going to go. He has the right to tell you how to live. He's done that in His Word. All we have to do is pick it up and read it. He is who He says He is believe and serve him as king but thirdly proclaim his praises Jesus is worthy of all praise your praise my praise the praise of the world one day every knee will praise his name every tongue will proclaim until that day, may we never allow the rocks to do what we have been called to do. Let us praise His name. Let our lives proclaim His salvation. Let our lips proclaim our love. Let our hearts reveal to the world that He's filled us with his love. How do you respond to Jesus' triumphal entry today? Are you like the Pharisees? Enough's enough. Keep quiet. Don't be foolish. Don't follow. Don't listen. Or are you going to be like the people who proclaim Jesus for who he truly is. Will you receive him as your Savior? Will you accept him as your Lord? Will you exalt him with your words of praise? I tell you today, my Jesus, your Jesus, Jesus the Messiah is worthy of our worship. Never. Would go. Play that worthy of worship again, if you would, please. With every head bowed and every eye closed this morning, I know that there are probably some that have never received Jesus Christ as Savior in this room today. I've told you in our series 
that Jesus is passing by, and we should not let him pass by without crying out to him. We should not let him come through without us receiving him for who he is. Are you here today still denying who he is and what he wants to do for you because of what he has already done for you on Calvary's cross? I ask you to let go of self and serve Christ. Let him become the Lord of your life who is worthy of your worship. He wants to set you free today. He wants you to come into relationship with Him. He's done everything He needed to do. He came from heaven, took on the form of man, died on a cross, rose from the grave, ascended back to the Father, intercedes that for us today, the next step is yours. For those of you that are believers here today, are you praising Him for who He is? Are you truly allowing your life to be a life of praise? He's worthy of our worship. Will you give it? Father, as we come to the time of invitation, as I open the altar, there are those that need to come. Lord, would you do the work? Would you let the Spirit of God speak to them? Lord, they've already been prayed for many times today by many folks. So Lord, let not the spirit of, of self get in the way of the Spirit of God.